Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. All right, here we are. We're in the 10th episode of Season 2. I think it's the ninth episode where we've actually been dealing with translations in the history of how we got the Bible. And we're getting to two major figures today. We've covered covered a lot of ground, talking about some of the, the early ways of copying. Some of the how, first off, you know how how the uh, the, the the manuscripts, the the autographs were originally written, and how they begin to be collected, and then to be passed on and copied. And now we're come. We've talked about Peter Waldo and John Wycliffe, Erasmus. We spent which all episode last time talking about Erasmus. In 1516 is when his uh, first Greek New Testament was published and how that began to change so much. And that was, in many ways, used by so much of the Reformation. Which brings us to our two main people we're going to talk about today, Martin Luther and William Tyndale. And just two men that the Lord used mightily uh, in the history of the church, and especially when it comes to uh, translations. Luther... He doesn't really have much of an impact upon our English Bible, but he was just a significant figure that the Lord used in the Reformation with so much, which is another, uh, which is another episode. Which is uh, uh, if we wanted to do a series about the reformers, so much there. But there is, uh, he does have some impact upon translations, and as he's con- we're continuing to trace a particular theme, which we'll get to here in a moment. But yeah, just uh, Martin Luther, he lived in uh, Germany from 1483 to 1546. And it was uh, in 1517 that he nailed his 95 Thesis to the church door at Wittenberg. That that was really the spark that set the Reformation going. But there are maybe some misconceptions or things we don't think about really when when we think about Martin Luther and how he did why he nailed the 95 Thesis. So Luther was part of the Catholic Church, and he was trying to, in a way, almost earn his salvation. And it was some experiences that the Lord brought into his life, as some things were going on, as he was studying the book of Romans, that he realized that we are justified by faith in Christ alone. That was really his foundational the turning point in his life and, and the, the doctrine that he kept coming back to over and over and over again. That in many ways, the cornerstone uh, of his of his faith, uh, of his life. And he began to, as he began to recognize there was a personal relationship with Christ and were justified by faith, he began to recognize there's a lot of stuff we're doing as Catholics that isn't scriptural, that isn't right. And so he, he wrote these 95 theses as a way to call other people in the Catholic Church, to call people in Wittenberg there, to almost in a way to, to, to dialogue. That it wasn't, I'm starting this Reformation, here's what I think is wrong with the Catholic Church, I'm done with you. That was not his attitude. He was called into dialogue. He wasn't trying to leave the Catholic Church. He would def- He wasn't trying to start a Reformation. Maybe start a Reform? Yeah, that, that is, <laughs> we can see that. But, what he, he wasn't starting this whole Reformation, this group that came out of the Catholic Church. So that's, it's important to recognize, but as time goes on, 
the Catholic Church began to try to, to stamp him out and to suppress his teaching and his ideas, he realized, I can't stay here. And so he, began to, he, he separated from him. And uh, so many other men of the Reformation did, did similar things as well. But he also, that wasn't the only thing that he did. And we're gonna, he also translated the Bible into German, which is what we're going to focus on. And what was, he translated to, uh, the Bible into German there from 1521 to 1534. And there's a lot of history there about how, how he did this, almost in secret at times because of persecution. Um, but what was extremely significant for our discussion is that he translated the Bible into the German of the common people. That this is a theme that we've been tracing throughout this whole time, is that God has communicated a, a message, and that, that message is communicated in the language of the common people, not this this high up uh, form of, of an old language or a different language entirely. That He God wants His message to be understood. <clears throat> Excuse me. And one of the best ways we can do, help do that is by getting the, the the message into the language of the people in a way that they can understand. <clears throat> and so he, he began to translate it. And unlike Wycliffe, who used the, the Vulgate, Martin Luther went to the Greek. And because, you know, Erasmus had already been publishing his uh, Greek New Testaments, he had published two by this by the time he started. Martin Luther, he used Erasmus's second edition. He began his work in 1521. Erasmus's second edition came out two years earlier in 1519. And so he was able to go directly to the Greek and to copy directly into the German of the people, which was incredible how the Lord had used these two men's work, and they, they did not see eye to eye about everything. That is, <clears throat> that is certainly true. But the Lord used both of their works to help bring his message to the people. And he, another significant thing that, uh, to point out about Martin Luther is that yes, while well, he, he worked on the New Testament, I believe it was the New Testament, he was working on it in secret. <coughs> Excuse me. Because of persecution. We find a different thing when he comes to the just working on the Old Testament. He begins to use a committee to help him in the work uh, when he's translating the Old Testament, which is uh, a pattern that's been used by so many translations uh, since that time. And we have Jerome with his great work. That was a single, that, that was a single man. Wycliffe, he was also uh, translating uh, by himself. He probably had, he had someone finish it up for him, because, but he it was basically one man's work. And there are other translations out there that are like that, but uh, a lot of them, especially today, are done by committee. And Martin Luther is an example of that. Oh, kind of the things to take away from Martin Luther was that he's yet another example of how. The Lord impressed upon him the importance of getting the Bible into the language of the common people that he used the original Greek because Erasmus had started compiling all these different manuscripts or fragments of manuscripts into a single document. And he didn't have a whole lot. There weren't a whole lot discovered at that time or that, he'd that he had access to, but he used the ones that he did and he was able to, to form a Greek text, a single document that Luther was able to use to help bring the language and bring the Bible into the language of the people. And he began to start using a committee when he was working on the Old Testament. Some pretty significant uh, things to remember about the history of translations. and uh, In general, um, of course, Luther's work did not necessarily uh, directly come into English, 
but it does lay a foundation for translations that came after him. Of course, his his major impact upon the church today has been uh, doctrinal, uh, coming, helping bring the church back to understanding that we are saved by justification through a faith in Christ alone. So that's Luther. And now we come to one of my heroes of the faith, William Tyndale. He lived in England from 1494 until his martyrdom in 1536. And just for so long, I can't remember how long, but for so many years, William Tyndale has been an example upon me. And we'll get into some of that here in a little bit, but it's actually these two men have had just a big impact upon, upon me and seeing their faith and their courage that God gave them. Martin Luther, when he's there at the Diet of Worms, and he's told to recant of everything, not just the stuff that the church had issue with, but you know to recant all his writings to get up to give it up. And he basically says, "I can't, I can't do it." And he he says that to go against God and conscience, neither safe nor right. Here I stand. I can do none else. God help me. And just I know the truth. I can't change. I, I'm not going to go back and pretend I haven't seen this. And his boldness and courage has had just a big impact. And that's actually one. Of, the, the inspiration for the name of Here I Stand Ministries is based upon Luther standing there at the Diet of Worms and everything else that, that he stood for, but especially right there, the I know the truth that God has shown me. I, I can't change. I, I'm not going to n- deny it. I, I have to stand firm. And uh, Tyndale, as I said, Tyndale had uh, just a big impact upon me just from, from a very early, from a pretty early age of just recognizing his desire to get the Bible into the hands of the people. And we'll get into that here in a moment. But um, he began to read Erasmus's work, his Greek New Testament. And he's like, this is great, but not everyone here in England knows Greek. And so he began to, to have this desire to bring Erasmus's work, uh, the compiling of the Greek manuscripts, bringing that into English so that uh, English people could read the Bible in their own language for themselves. And... Um, and to have some debates with some of the church clerics. And one of the, the uh, church officials says, we were better um, we were better to be without God's laws than the Pope's. And it, it was kind of a conflict. They were going back and forth, and just the, the, the church official was pointing to the supremacy of the Pope and how he's the vicar of Christ. And then Tyndale responds, and he tells him that should, should God... Spare basically says, Should God spare my life ere many years have passed? I shall cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the holy scriptures than thou. And that's recorded there in Fox's book of Fox's Book of Martyrs, is where that's one of the places that quote is found. But it's that idea of, Look, I'm going to devote my life to this. Get the common person, the person you don't really care about, the person society doesn't really care about, the boy that is walking behind the plow. I want him to know more of the Holy Scriptures in a personal, intimate, deep way than all of the, the high learning and just this uh, facade for spirituality, this um, liturgical, uh, high church, uh, ritualistic, uh, self-righteous attitude that was being presented in the Catholic Church. And Yes, liturgy has its place, and that's, a, that's another discussion, that these other things, but such abuses that have come into the Catholic Church in this, I'm so much better because I'm this church official and that 
you common people aren't good enough to be able to hear and understand the word of God. You need to come to me to understand. That was the attitude that was being presented. And William Tyndale just said, that is not what honors God. And his submission to the Lord and just his devotion to devoting his life, that's what I meant, devoting his life to bringing the Bible into the language of the common people so that the common person would not just know about the scriptures, but could have a relationship with God. And that's actually the inspiration behind um, my, my blog, which is called Plowboy Moments. It's direct. It's based on that, that desire for people to, to know the Lord, to, to know the scripture, but to know the Lord. And so Tyndale began to just to devote his life uh, to this. And um, he began to just to, to, to work. And one thing that he began to do is he began to try to imitate the Greek and the Hebrew, their sentence structure and things. He tried to mimic that in English to make it as close a reading experience in English as it was for those who were reading the original languages and wanted to bring that length, the meaning of the text into English in a way that individuals could understand in their, in their own language. And um, David Norton puts, points that out in his book, uh, The King James Bible. And he used the original languages, the Greek and the Hebrew. We don't know how much he used secondary sources like the, the Vulgate and, and other sources that he had access to. We're not really sure, sure about that. But we do know is that he was using Greek and Hebrew, uh, trying to translate directly from the original languages into, into English. And um, he was in Worms when he finished his New Testament in uh, 1525. Uh, and then he began to and it, he began to face great opposition from the Catholic Church. They were recognizing what he was doing and how he was bringing these Bibles, in, or he was sending these Bibles into to England, and they wanted to suppress it. So it, when the irony is how the Lord uses history, and so much to accomplish his purposes. They, his opponents begin, maybe David Norton pointed out, but um, some researchers pointed out how his opponents were buying up his Bibles to try to keep them from getting into the hands of the people. But by doing so, they were just providing funding for Tyndale to keep on working and to presenting more Bibles and to, to, to translating the Old Testament and then just continue to publish the Bible, to, to, to make copies of the Bible and to get it into English and to get it into England. And it's just incredible testimony to how, to how the Lord was, was working and the Lord was in control and how his enemies were, were working and doing everything they could to try to stop him. But they couldn't. God was still still working and he wanted his word in the, in the English language. So he continued to, continue to work and he moved to uh, Antwerp, Antwerp where he began to work on the, the Old Testament. And this is where everything begins to fall apart. He was betrayed by Henry Phillips in 1535. That uh, Phillips had, had somehow came into Neil's society and began to have this friendship, and Phillips betrayed him. And then Tyndale was eventually strangled, and then he was burned at the stake in, a year later in 1536. And his famous words were this, were that the, he says, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. That, that was his heart's cry, was just saying, help the, the ruler, the leader of this land, to recognize what a precious gift we have in the Bible 
and how it is important for people to be able to read it for themselves. Because in the Catholic Church, everything the, the Mass was in Latin. Not everyone understood Latin. And even so, trying to understand something, listen to something in a second, your second language, it, you don't understand it near as well as you do in your own mother tongue. And Tyndale recognized this, and he, he prayed that the Lord would open the King of England's eyes. And obviously the Lord was able to work and continued on as the Reformation continued to unfold, as the Lord raised up many more men to carry on Tyndale's work, uh, the, the legacy of his work and other changes that begin to take place there in England. But the Lord used Tyndale in, in so many ways to begin that work. And so these two men, Martin, uh, Martin Luther and William Tyndale, they're my testimonies how the Lord used these men, how he gave them boldness, how he gave them courage, how he provided resources for them to be able to carry on their work. But with what they both had in common was the desire to bring the, the Bible from the original languages, the, the Greek and the Hebrew, to bring it into the language of the common people there in Germany and also in England. And that they were able to use Erasmus's text that the Lord had moved Erasmus to be able to, 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 to do, to, to work circumstances so that came about. And they were able to, to carry on their work for the glory of God and carry on uh, translating the Bible and preserving it. And so this be a theme, this theme of getting the Bible into the language of the common people is, is so profound and it, it's so significant. And we may have debates about different translations today, but I think this is a, is a key is a key point of how do we most accurately bring God, what God had spoken, what God had moved men to write, to record in Hebrew and in Greek, how do we bet most accurately bring that into other languages in a way that those people can understand the Bible and for themselves? That they don't, we don't have a man as priests that are mediators between us and God. That First uh, Timothy two talks about how there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And there's just so many doctrinal aspects that come into play here, but um, these two men have had such an impact upon my life. And upon the church in general, in so many ways, and wanted to point them out, especially Tyndale, with as we're tracing direct, mostly the history of the English Bible, and how from Tyndale on, Tyndale's begin to set off a series of translations that led up to the King James. And over the coming weeks, we'll be looking into that as we continue on with this study. This week is Tim Keller's book, Prayer. Uh, I started talking about this last week. I was taking a little bit getting getting through the book. Not because it's necessarily long, but I'm slower reading with Braille, and so that's uh, that's why I was taking a little bit longer to get through it. Um, so I'm practically done with it now, but so I'm going to go ahead and do the review this week of what I've had. So I just have a little bit left in the book. I think maybe like half a chapter, chapter and a half, something like that, I think. So pretty close to the end. Overall, I think this has been a pretty good book. I feel like Keller brings a lot of balance to the discussion with uh, going to an extreme with... Uh, contemplative meditation as he talks about that in terms of the, the mysticism uh, that that can be abused uh, a lot or just complete the prayer um, of just giving our requests and just rushing on so he, he brings a good uh, balance I'll start with the different aspects of prayer what uh, through adder praise a confession not just our requests and it develops that theme well throughout the book. 
he cites a lot of different uh, authors and Christian leaders to help show this point and drawing especially upon Augustine uh, or Augustine as he sometimes is pronounced Martin Luther and then John Calvin are the th- are the three main ones that he uses uh, of course he, he uh, spends a lot of time talking about the Lord's Prayer and how that's a model for for um, how we can shape our own prayers as well and he draws quite heavily on the reform on some of the Puritans uh, like Jonathan Edwards, uh, John Owen, especially John Owen keeps coming up repeatedly, any others, more contemporary authors as well. So it's a very well-researched book, and it's very easy to follow. He, he lays things out very, very easily to under, very easy to understand and show how we ought to approach the Lord, not just a rushing into prayer. And he brings about what biblical meditation is, shows the different aspects of that, and he does a good job of not saying, this is the way everyone has to pray. This is the way everyone has to meditate. He gives a lot of examples and showing the principles behind it and the reasoning behind why these are some good examples, but then allows you to, to follow the, the Spirit as the Spirit leads you to about how to approach the Lord in prayer and how we how we shape our prayers directly. And so overall, it's been pretty good. I do take issues a little bit with some of his, maybe his presentation. His points, I feel like, has been good. It's been not. There has not been a whole lot that I've like. Ah, I disagree with that. I don't see that sport in scripture. Uh, his presentation um, is a little more mainstream, a little more tr- trying to be relevant than I would necessarily care for. Like where he was talking about paraphrasing the the Lord's prayer and using that, praying it back in our own words based on our own requ- our own life situation. The title of that subsection was called Riffing on the Lord's Prayer. You know, like uh, a riff of a piece of music, as he explains. Kind of improvisation that goes along with that. So, whether the principle was good, maybe the presentation was a little little different. And that's that's not all throughout the book, but there are some instances of that. And that's just Keller's style, which is maybe work well in his context, but uh, some of that, that. I wouldn't say I took issue with, but was a little off-putting for me. And a uh, couple other things that I didn't uh, agree with about the book. One, he's talking, one part he's talking about meditation, trying to go through these different aspects of a part of Ephesians, using that as a model. And he talks about the, the depth of the love of Christ and talking how Christ went down to the lowest pit of hell. I'm like, no, Christ didn't. Um, so there's a couple things like that. Uh, I think maybe he takes some issues of some parts of the experiential aspect of prayer or our boldness, maybe a little, maybe a little too far. Um, so there's, there's a couple things to, to read. So it's, it's a good book. I feel like it, it does maybe give us um, some examples or some approach of trying to explore what prayer is. How do we really approach it? Um, I feel like it is worthwhile in that sense. Just uh, read with some caution, uh, just don't take everything, embrace everything necessarily, just because he says it. Um, but overall, I feel like it's been a good, it's been a good read. Instead of just got a little bit left in it, but yeah, it's a good book. I would, I would give it to someone just maybe with a couple with a word of caution, just a few of those things, just to, to glean what you can from it and take it to the scripture and discern it with, by, by the Holy Spirit. So that's Tim Keller's book on prayer, and I'll post a link there in the description. Appreciate people listening to the podcast, and until next time, read the word and take your stand. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope it was an encouragement and a blessing. To find out more information about Here I Stand Ministries, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.